Hi. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. We start the podcast on a somber note today as the passing of the legendary broadcaster Bob Pick and another legendary Bob, Bob Irving, joins the show to remember Pick. As well, Blue Bomber alumnus Brett McNeil on adapting to life after football and why it's important to give back and his thoughts on the Bombers today. Plus, Scott Stroh, Hockey Night in Manitoba on Twitter, a Navy veteran, how junior hockey helps him cope with PTSD. That's all on the podcast. We'll start with the uh, passing of legendary sports broadcaster uh, Bob Pickin today after a battle with cancer. And I figured Bob Irving would be a great source to remember Bob Pickin. And Bob joins us now on the CJOB Sports Show. Uh, Bob, for those who may not know, like myself, I grew up in Ontario. I didn't know much about Bob until I got here. I got to talk to him once. But what kind of man was Bob Pickin? Well, Christian, I did a tweet today about Pick, and uh, I'll maybe read it to you. I said, when I came to CGOB in 1973, Bob Pickin was a giant in my eyes, a superb broadcaster, consummate pro. Beyond that, he treated this cub reporter like an equal. I'll never forget his big voice, his big laugh, his class, his dignity, and his kindness. And I, I think that kind of signs, uh, you know, sums up who Bob Pickin was and what he was about, respected and liked by everybody a tremendous broadcaster when i came to winnipeg in 73 there were uh, some broadcasting icons here jack wells jack matheson Stu mcpherson don whitman and bob pickin uh bob was just uh, a tremendous broadcaster he had a, a voice that <laughs> everybody in our business would would kill for uh, powerful pipes uh, he did the play-by-play of the Bomber games in the late 60s and in the early 70s when he was with CBC Radio, and then they lost the rights to us in the early 70s. Uh, but Bob stayed with CBC for many years, and people uh, who were alive at that time in the 70s and 80s will remember Bob as, as being one of the guys you could count on for an actor, accurate, factual report uh, you know, he was just a, a terrific broadcaster and, and an even better guy. So I don't know. My thoughts are with his wife, Barb, and their family, but I have great memories of Pick. And then he was also uh, a curling and golf reporter for CGOB yeah. in the later years, too? Yeah, he was. After he uh, retired, more or less retired from CBC, he still did lots of freelance work, but we hired him to cover curling, and Bob did that for, I've lost track of the years, Christian, probably for about 15 years, and some golf too, but he was best known, I guess, on our radio station for his curling coverage, 25 after the hour, you'd hear his booming voice all winter long, Uh, and I know his name is synonymous with curling and curling coverage in this city, and it was a, a real treat for us to have him on board, because he was so good at it, and so dedicated to it. I think it's fair to say that Bob's first love was curling. He was a pretty good competitive curler. We used to kid him. He lost the Manitoba men's final in 1963 to Hirsch Lerner. And uh, we, we often kidded Bob at curling events about how he could possibly lose to Hirsch. I think the score in that game was 17-12. to 12. Wow. The game was <laughs> Hirsch had a seven-ender against Pick. And, of course, that's we all called him Pick. And uh, we kidded him about that. And, Every now and then, if you if, you know if you kidded him enough or bugged him enough, he'd sort of say, "Okay, that's good enough." But he'd laugh about it uh, along with the rest of us. He's just a a kind-hearted guy, and uh, yeah. But his coverage of curling, I think, for uh, 
you know, most of the people in our audience, uh, that's what they will know him from is his coverage of curling on CJOB. And I've noticed some curlers even tweeting out today how the time they first heard Bob Pickens say their name on the radio, how cool a moment that was for them. Yeah, I think Jill Officer has said that. Lots of them have said that when there was a story. Paul Friesen did a story mm-hmm. in The Sun recently about uh, Pick's declining health, and he interviewed a bunch of curlers, and there's no question about that. The, the curling crowd uh, was locked to CJOB in the 80s. This is before all the games at the National Playdowns were televised, Christian, and you, you got your up-to-date curling results on CJOB, and from Bob Pickin, and many times I've told this story. We'd and I covered a bunch of briars in the '70s and '80s, and Pick was at all of them. And uh, when he started a curling report, and the, the media bench would always be at one end of the rink, and Bob would start his report. And he'd do a countdown, three, two, one, and then he'd record his report. Well, as soon as he started, his voice was so powerful that the curlers basically would stop. <laughs> They would stop and wait till he was finished his report, and they'd look at the media bench, most of them smiling and laughing, uh, because uh, Pick's voice could be heard all over the rink. And uh, I know I did a banquet with him every year, the St. Nick's Men's Club, as a Ukrainian Sportsman of the Year dinner. And gosh, for the last 20 or 25 years, Bob was at the head table, and he would introduce the winner of the award and tell a couple of jokes. And he, he was just such a popular guy and such a good broadcaster. Man, he was good. And he was in basically, I, I saw Paul Friesen's article just to learn more about the uh, the man when that article went up a few weeks ago. But the number of halls of fame that Bob Pickin is in is astounding. Yeah, he's in all kinds of them. I know he's in the baseball, the curling, uh, the Canadian football hall of fame. He's in, you know, you name a hall of fame in this province and he's in it. Bob was a really good athlete. He was a good baseball player. Again, I didn't see him play because uh, that was before my time here, but I've been told by many that Pick was really a good baseball player, and as I said, he was an excellent curler. Uh, He loved to play golf. Uh, He's been one of the organizers of the Grey Owl Golf Tournament at Clear Lake for many, many years. Uh, and uh, he's a left. He was a left-handed golfer, and uh, gee, I think it was the last time I played in the tournament three years ago. I had a chance to play with Pick, and uh, it was tough for him to, to get around the course. But just his company for five hours that day—I'll never forget it. He, he just such a delight. Pick rarely had a bad word to say about anybody. He was always willing to laugh with you and, and share a story. And He's one of those guys, you know, and I, I sort of think about Bob. He's one of those guys, Christian, when you see them somewhere, you can't wait to get over and say hello because, you know, you're going to get a smile and a warm handshake and a laugh or something like that. He was just that kind of guy. Yeah, I'll leave you with this, Bob. Paul Friesen in that article wrote that uh, Bob Pickin would be on that Mount Rushmore of broadcasters in Manitoba. You agree with that? Oh, no question. No question. And again, I... I think you'd have to go back to the 60s and the 70s and 80s, to, and lots of our audience does, to uh, understand how good Bob was. He did the Great Cup game nationally many years on CBC. I know he covered Olympics. Um, he covered curling events all around the world. Yes, he was, beyond everything else, you know, he's a great guy and, and one of my favorite people of all time and such a nice person. But he was a tremendous broadcaster, one of the very best that I've ever seen. Well, Bob, I appreciate you coming on to uh, share some stories about Bob tonight. Yeah, my pleasure, Christian. Joined in studio by Brett McNeil, Blue Bomber alum. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. For those who may not know Brett, uh, 
How long did you play in the CFL for the Blue Bombers? Okay, well, I played in the league from 91 till 2002, uh, 10 years with Winnipeg, so 92 to um, 97 with the Bombers, and I was traded to Edmonton for one season. Um, had a major knee injury for the second time, and then uh, Dave Ritchie and Brendan Taman uh, claimed me off waivers. And I was back in Winnipeg from 99 to 2002, and then the Bombers let me go uh, at the end of the 2002 season and uh, went to Calgary, of all places, for a, for a tryout, and uh, I didn't get past the doctors once they saw the x-rays. They, right. uh, they told me uh, it's time to pack it in. But that was the closure I needed that I didn't get in Winnipeg. So, um, yeah, twelve years and uh, had some had some great times during during those years, and I'm still in Winnipeg. So. Offensive lineman played. Uh, yeah, I was a college left tackle, and then uh, with the Bombers, I uh, moved inside to left guard, and uh, that was you know where I held uh, held down that spot for ten years. And uh, due to injuries and stuff, sometimes I'd, I'd pop out to left tackle or I'd move into center, but uh, I was generally a left guard. And you're still in Winnipeg all these years later. Yeah, yeah, I was traded uh, traded to the Peg in '92 from Ottawa, and I was you know first round pick in Ottawa. I thought I'd be there my whole career, and they had a, a management changeover, and um, Coach uh, Cal Murphy uh, uh, apparently was interested. And in '91, he didn't have a first round pick, but he uh, he took advantage in '92, and he traded Michael Allen. And uh, uh, for me, you know, Michael had uh, just set a record for blocking punts and blocking field goals, and he was a, a real phenom on on special teams in the defensive secondary. And uh, I was traded over because, uh, you know, there was a few linemen who were a little long in the tooth and uh, it was time to, to get a young guy in the lineup. But it was, you know, I joined, I joined a group uh, of Hall of Fame linemen and, uh, you know, fit right in there. So we're running close to two decades since your career ended. You're still in Winnipeg. What is it about the city here that you've fallen in love with, that your reason you've stayed? Well, in particular, it was uh, my wife, Anna, who uh, who I met uh, during my playing years and, uh and you know we we uh, have a family here in Winnipeg with a couple uh, great daughters who are in their twenties now. And um, you know, I, after uh, retiring from from the Bombers, I moved over to the University of Manitoba Bison program uh, with Brian Doby, and uh, I was the offensive line coach from uh, 2002 until 2008. Uh, I was part of the Vanier Cup championship team, and uh, from there I uh, was recruited by 3M Canada and uh, joined. Uh, joined 3M's uh, collision repair division uh, end of 2006, and that's what I'm doing uh, uh, during the days right now. Any work as a member of the alumni to kind of give back? Yeah, I mean, you know, giving back is something that uh, is very important to the Blue Bomber organization. Uh, we had the Ed Cottowich Award, and, and then you know the Cal Murphy Heart of a Legend Award, and those those. Uh, those are given out to players who not only you know put the effort in on the field, but also off the field in the community, uh, visiting schools, you know, talking to kids, uh, helping with charities, um, doing whatever we can. Um, so then, once your once your playing career ends, it's a you know it's it's a blow. It doesn't matter if you play ten years or two years or or twenty years. It's an adjustment. It's a transition, and um, you know most guys don't dive into alumni work immediately it took me a while uh, i had to sort of recover from something that you know you focus 100 percent of your efforts on for for years at a time trying you know in pursuit of the gray cup and you know when it doesn't happen you have to sort of change the channel and so um 2006 gray cup when we hosted uh, i had some alumni friends from bc you know drag me out because uh, i didn't want to go to any events around gray cups after losing three with the big blue and just you know had a bad taste overall and 
you know, uh, the Great Cup for alumni is uh, it's a gathering. It's it's uh, the biggest reunion there is. And you know, I went down there. Uh, to, it was the Lions Den, and uh, got to see a lot of former teammates and uh, and uh, former opponents. Uh, and it was great to catch up with those guys, and you know, um, and see them. And 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 it's really interesting to to have that experience because now it's off the field, and you know, you get to share stories and different perspectives. Um, so that sort of springboarded me into. Uh, to becoming more involved with the Blue Bomber Alumni Association, and uh, currently sit on the board of directors in Winnipeg, where we uh, we fundraise uh, to support amateur football uh, programs such as the Winnipeg Rifles. Uh, where you know we're all in on on uh, supporting f- football, growing football, you know, supporting the club, and uh, promoting the, what the Bombers are doing, attending game day events, uh, autograph signings, uh, community hero awards. Uh, we have the Thirteenth Man flag that we raise every game, and we we. Uh, you know, host suites uh, in the stadium to uh, interact with corporate uh, customers of the club. And um, I was uh, also brought into the fold of the National Alumni Association, the CFL Alumni Association. And brought, I came over there in uh, 2013. I was elected president uh, right here in Winnipeg in 2015. And uh, uh, I was reelected as president uh, for another one-year term uh, at the Edmonton Grey Cup. So that's, uh, that's a, a role I... Uh, I hold uh, very dearly and uh, very happy and, and honored to uh, to represent former players uh, in the CFL. So watching the CBA developments over this offseason, how important is player safety in these discussions? Well, um, the CFL Alumni Association sits in a, you know, in a unique position in that we're, you know, we're friends with the Players Association because those are our future members and we're friends with the league. Um, which you know we have a mandate to to support CFL brand or Canadian football brand wherever it might be played. So you know player safety is is always a top of mind um, for all three entities. And um, you know one of the major reasons that we exist um, as a CFL alumni association uh, is to raise money for a support fund, uh, and that support fund is uh, is in place to uh, support former players who have medical expenses uh, that they might have uh, a tough time paying um, or emergency uh, life uh, expenses, you know, guys who, you know, might be, uh, you know, in these types of conditions might be faced with uh, losing their, their place of residence and, you know, they can reach out to uh, to our alumni association for support. But uh, so, you know, we're, we're tuned into more what the players are, are dealing with, you know, down the road uh, when they've been, you know, out of the game for a while, and seeing you know seeing what we can do to support those guys. So, um, yeah, I know that the you know, the CFL PA is interested in, um, in workers' compensation programs for players that aren't currently available to them now, and obviously the league uh, has implemented um, many different uh, new uh, activities to protect players, such as. Um, taking the pads off during practice, which uh, I'd still be playing if uh, we didn't <laughs> wear pads back in the day. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, the extra referee that was brought in this year to, uh, to identify uh, headshots on quarterbacks. And, you know, it's, so it looks like both, both sides of the table are, are really focused on, on uh, safety and uh, as we are too. So, With uh, Bomber alumnus Brent McNeil here on the CGB Sports Show, a lot of talk about player safety as well. Do you look at the where, where the league is at because there's always room for improvement whether it's officiating challenges 
off the field rules and uh, safety again, but concussions. Is the league in a good spot right now? Well, I I think you know there are a lot of positives. Um, you know, there was a time when you know if a player got nicked up, um, the ability of the player to soldier on and continue playing, whether it was in a practice or a game, it's like a badge of honor. Well, yeah. Um, some sometimes that decision uh, may have you know maybe the player had some some role in that decision whether they were going to continue. And that was that was the old school. And, and what's promising is now you see players. Who uh, who maybe nicked up? Who you know maybe maybe should think twice about playing? But it's the it's the club trainers who are taking that decision out of their hands. You know they're basically taking the helmet away from the player. Um, you know placing the the player through protocols. And that's a positive. That's absolutely a positive, right? Because you know if you leave if you leave the decision to continue playing after an injury up to the player, ninety nine percent of those guys are wired to keep playing. And uh, they're going to fight through, and uh, so it's up to the medical professionals to make those decisions, and and to uh, you know to make sure that the the player is absolutely ready to get back into the uh, the play. All right. I reckon you still follow the Bombers very closely. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm on Twitter too much, as I've been told, <laughs> and uh, so I get <laughs> all, the, all are. I get all the live updates and uh, and player transactions, and you know, I, I look at what. Uh, what Coach O'Shea and Kyle Walters have done with this program uh, since taking over. And, uh, I mean, they've done a great job. They're getting closer every year. Um, I know last, you know, I talked to Coach O'Shea recently, and, he, you know, after the end of both seasons, I had an opportunity to t- speak with Coach O'Shea. And, you know, we're old, we're old uh, you know, enemies or opponents <laughs> from his Zargo and, and Ticat days. But, you know, we have, a, I believe, a good relationship. And he's just sharing, you know, his frustration because, you know, you look at, at what – what the Bombers put on the field last year. And, you know, they definitely were, you know, had every opportunity that they could have uh, hoisted the cup. But um, at that point in the season, at that level, um, everything has to go right uh, on, you know, during those games to win it. And, you know, I saw that with the Vanny Cup champs, uh, with the Bisons in 07. And, um, you know, they're close. Um, it's unfortunate they went into Calgary and, you know, they hung in there right, you know, right, right till the end with the, with the Stamps. And, uh, you know, the difference is, is often just a, a play or two. And so um, uh, I think the Bombers look like they're retooling for another run. I know that they've, uh, they've added some key pieces uh, from 2018 over to 2019. I know they've lost a few key pieces as well that uh, might be challenging to replace. And, you know, free agency uh, um, hasn't started yet. So uh, next month we're going to see, you know, who's, who's back and, and who we might lose, unfortunately, due to salary cap issues and, you know, players wanting to – move to different parts of the country and whatnot. One of the pieces that they've lost before I let you go is Matthias Gosen announcing his retirement. You were an offensive lineman. He's an offensive lineman at the age of 26. Your thoughts on when you heard that news? Well, I was shocked. You know, uh, Matthias is a guy that uh, I haven't had the pleasure to meet, but I followed his career. Um, you know, he was a, a U-sport kid, and, uh, you know, he developed from a backup Player into a, a starting role, and uh, I know this past season he was honored with uh, uh, CFL All Star Award, uh, which is really difficult to win. That um, usually, you know, if, if you're at that level, you've arrived. And uh, um, you know, I saw big things down the road for Mateus, and you know, just looking at that unit, um, you know, I was a part of a, an offensive line that still holds the record for lowest sacks allowed. Um, you know, we were second all time, and in, 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 in,
back against uh, Mike Cochet and the, and the Thai Cats back in 94. We put that on them. But, uh, you know, you, we had a great group uh, of Hall of Fame offensive linemen. And, 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 you know, I know I saw a lot of uh, attributes in, in the 2018 uh, line that, you know, those guys, there was no limit to what those guys could do uh, with Bryant and Hardrick at the tackles and, you know, Chung, Goosen and, and Patty Newfeld, who, you know, had the best year of his career and was able to stay healthy um, the entire season. But, uh, you know, Goosen and Chung, those are, you know, those were two first-round picks that uh, were developing into uh, good football players. I know Chung was also um, a Western uh, Western All-Star this year. And so, I, you know, if you keep that unit together in 19, um, those guys, you know, could pave the way, literally and figuratively. And so now Goosen, who I, I understand is, you know, is leaving the CFL for an opportunity in, in police work, um, you know, my 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 first you know reaction to that is you know he could still play another five, six, seven years, and I'm sure that job would be down would be ready for him waiting when he finishes up. Uh, funny story: '96 in the off season, I applied for the Winnipeg Police, and uh, at one point, you know, I was getting closer to uh, to uh, having to make a decision, and, and I was asked point blank by a detective, you know, if if this happens, are you ready to give up your career at the Bombers? And I, you know, I said, uh, no, I'm not. And uh, I had co- Coach Cal Murphy call me and say, you know, you're going to be a cop, you're going to be a bomber. I said, I'm going to be a bomber, Coach. I just wanted to, you know, see what it was like. It was an experience for me. Um, I, you know, I I think that uh, that Goose, um, you know, he's got to, everyone's got to do their own thing. And, you know, I, I remember uh, veteran players who played, you know, 10, 15, even closer to 20 years who would say, you know, I probably played too long because the longer you play, you know, the less likely you are to develop any type of uh, post-playing career and it's that much more difficult when you do hang it up. So so Goose, uh, you know, he's going to get a head start on a new career and uh, I wish him the best. Um, I just, uh, now you're going to say what if, you know, and, and he might have some what if. So you know, you look down the road at, at an offensive line that uh, now will look to uh, a younger player who's going to have to develop, and and your center position—that's uh, that's a position where you got to have a lot between the ears, and uh, you got to be physical and you got to be vocal, and it's not easy to de- develop those guys. And uh, <clears throat> Goose Goose was a, a center who you know we hadn't had many natural centers over the years. We had a lot of guys who were forced into that role. Dave Ancona was probably the last one who was a natural center who really stuck, and. Uh, well, I wish him the best, but uh, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, what if uh, if Chung decides to leave it with free agency? We got Jeff Gray there, mm-hmm. but uh, I know Couture is a young kid who might be ready to take the next step. We'll see. We're going to find out. Yep. Bomber alumnus Brett McTeal, I really appreciate you coming in tonight. Anytime. Thanks for having me. We're joined by Scott Stroh on the CGB Sports Show. Scott, how are you tonight? Not bad to yourself. Doing well, Scott. So you are the man behind the Hockey Night in Manitoba Twitter account, and you're a big fan of junior hockey. What is it about uh, junior hockey that really drew you in? Uh, well, it's ex- it's an exciting sport. Uh, a lot of the players in the pro leagues come from the junior leagues, and to sort of catch them at this moment is uh, an exciting opportunity. And, you know, to get in right there with these fellas as they're developing their skills is is important. And uh, looking at your feed, you got a lot of graphics on here, very high quality graphics. So uh, what is it that you, I guess, do you do stuff for the MJHL with your graphics work? 
I do, yeah. I do a little bit for them. Uh, we have a, a good relationship. Uh, obviously, I started this venture out on my own, so it took some time for them to um, get to know me and my product and uh, sort of come to terms that, um, you know, they allow me to do some stuff for them and in the ranks and to showcase their players, their team, and the league. The Kootenai Ice announcement, since you're a big junior hockey fan, what are your thoughts on Winnipeg getting a uh, WHL squad? Oh, I'm excited. Uh, I think it's been a long time coming. Winnipeg is a hockey crazy city, uh, and I, I fully think that uh, with the ice that, uh, you know, the Jets and the Moose and the ice will have no problem uh, sustaining that uh popularity and as well you know it's it's good news for the blues as well with 50 below and possibly a, a new rink uh for the ice and for the blues as well to play out of it's it's good for everybody everybody wins here in winnipeg no worries about oversaturation no no hockey winnipeg oversaturation <laughs> no sir i i don't think so at all okay so why did you start this uh this twitter account back in what year did you start it uh, 2016. Okay. Why did you Why did you launch that? Okay. Well, I you know we all love the Jets and everybody loves the Jets and and, and so happy that they're back. But there was a, a big lack of promotion for the junior leagues and uh, other than Brandon out west, there wasn't much going on here in Winnipeg for the Blues and their ten other teams in the MJHL and uh, women's junior hockey and what have you. So there was this big. A huge market that I decided to to promote and you know these players both men and women they deserve the spotlight you know as much as the major junior players do Uh, if you go to any of the showcase events there's scouts from NCAA colleges a lot of these you know young men and women get the opportunity to further their careers in hockey and I think more people should be aware of exactly what it is that uh, Manitoba has as far as its junior leagues. And you're not getting paid for this, right? No, I'm not. No, I'm a, uh, I'm a veteran. Um, So this is sort of my niche. This is something that I figured out how to do on my own with a couple of GoPro cameras, uh, you know, an iPad, a a laptop and a cell phone. And you go into the rinks and once people start to get to know you, they understand your product and your passion behind the game and, they kind of let me do what I need to do. So you you mentioned you're a veteran. I understand you were uh, a part of the Navy. I was, yeah. I was in the Navy for 16 years, 1996 to 2013. What uh, Can you talk about your experience in the Navy? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first part of my career, stationed out of Halifax, uh, on board our warships doing uh, maritime patrol and uh, NATO operations, and then um, I evolved my career into being a, an analyst, and with that came the cross-training with the Air Force and Army and opened a door for me to go into Afghanistan in 2010. And, you know, uh, without beating around the bush, a lot of people that go to Afghanistan and come out of Afghanistan, uh, especially on today of the Bell Let's Talk Day, uh, you know, they're, they're suffering with various things. Um, so for me, I was released in 2013 without the ability to continue on with my job and sort of left me in the dark as to how am I going to pursue my life? What am I going to do? And, uh, you know, this sort of came upon me. I'm a bit of an entrepreneurial kind of person. 
And I sort of, like I said earlier, saw this lack of promotion in the junior hockey world and uh, decided to, to make a go at it. Did this passion for junior hockey and what you've been doing kind of help you cope with the aftermath of your time with the Navy? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, who doesn't love hockey, right? And uh, to get into these ranks and to focus on the players and their skills and to capture, uh, you know, on video or a picture and put them in a graphic and spend the time focusing on them and promoting them, um, you know, sort of helps alleviate my stresses. This is sort of my vice, if it were. Um, and every day you get better and you learn and you're, you're watching the bigger channels and seeing how they do things and, you know, to try and put them in the same perspective as, you know, the Jets or the Moose might get. How important was it to have a support system when you're dealing with something like PTSD? It's very important. Um, you, you can't sit by idle and alone. You can't sit in a corner and uh, not talk. Talking is extremely extremely important that's a rhetorical comment um people are afraid i was afraid for the longest time to speak up to you know be uh strong enough to say that i have a problem i need to talk i need to get it out and i need help and uh, i'm lucky that there's been enough help for me and continuing ongoing care with that and i'm a huge advocate of uh, mental health awareness and uh you know, actually, right above me, I have a Rick Rippin uh, game-worn uh, military tribute jersey. So there's a special place in my heart for him. And, uh, you know, talk. And, and again, ending a stigma that it's, it's uh, you know, it's not something to be ashamed about. It's extremely important. And uh, the, the idea that uh, it's important to talk, we hear that a lot, but is it really that simple? Yes and no. Um, there's a few factors. You know, you, you you have to find a bit of courage to get out and talk and not be afraid of backlash or um, is this going to ruin my character or what have you. And also having a good support system of friends and family around that can understand that, hey, somebody doesn't look like they're feeling well. Uh, they've been in a car accident or they've come home from military service or they're a police officer, a paramedic, you know, they've likely seen things that I can't even comprehend. So maybe even just talking to them about things in general will help them, you know? Um, So for me, uh, I also work with service dogs. I have two service dogs. And when I'm out in public with the service dogs, people come up and ask a lot of questions about them. And I'm happy to fill them in with the information of what these dogs do for me and to maybe help them uh, with somebody they know, uh, obtain a dog as well. Finally, before I let you go, I also understand that you're a, you're a big Kermit the Frog fan. I'm a huge Kermit the Frog fan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Well, to be honest, um, always been a Muppets fan, but, uh, in 2011, so shortly after I returned home from Afghanistan, uh, you can imagine the state somebody would be in, um, a friend of mine took me to see the Muppets movie and sort of Kermit embodied everything I'd want to be. If you know the character, you know, Jim Henson kind of spawned a, a real true lovable character. Who's a leader. He's a friend. He's someone who'd give the shirt off his back, wants the world to be a better place, but he's not without his own flaws. So he sort of become my, my icon. 
and uh, I've got them tattooed on my arm and a part of a veterans group and they call me Kermit. That's great. Well, Scott, I appreciate you coming on to, to share your story tonight. Thank you very much, sir. Tomorrow, we could have some light snow in the after, light snow, light snow in the afternoon. There you go, Sky. It's combining snow and afternoon. Snoon. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from seven to nine p.m. with Christian O'Mel and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts. Not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes. <laughs>